last week, I don't know if any of you were listening, it was just a couple days ago when the rapper Common was talking about his book. Did anyone hear that on the radio? Yeah, it was quite beautiful. He's written a book called Let Love Have the Last Word. And in the book, he's apparently, I, I ordered it um, to put on my electric device and then I couldn't find my device. But I remember enough from the radio program to say that I want to read it. But what he talks about is very, very deep trauma uh, that he experienced in his life and his struggles and let love have the last word is kind of his last word about that. He talks about, his on the radio he talked about his main practice which included listening to John Coltrane's music A Love Supreme and feeling the kind of the spirit or intention or message that goes beyond words that's embedded in that music and how that music was John Coltrane's practice of a love supreme and connecting with that it helps common uh, find this kind of deep goodness that can hold everything that happened to him and still let love have the last word as his practice and common is a in the Christian tradition so he talks about the divinity of of humanity um, but I don't think that we should leave that out of our Buddhist practice either, that something sacred about these qualities and sacred about who we are should not get lost. And whatever we feel is you know, sacred or awe-inspiring or greater than our concept of ourself or greater than our concept of each other, I think that's also love. Like, There's something um, kind of when we label people as if we know everything about them um, and they you know, just appear in our mind as one set of characteristics and we lose that other dimension of the mystery of their humanness or the naturalness or all of that, I think there's something about love in that too, to say that we don't really, we, we don't know other people as well as we think we do. It's a kind of humility and respect for one another So through this process of contemplation um, of the advantages and disadvantages of these qualities, it, you haven't really even started to develop loving kindness yet officially in Buddhaghosa's ideas. So you spend enough time doing this that you feel that you've, you know, sort of understood this part of the process. And, you know, as always in spiritual practice, um, the beginning and the ending are kind of related. You can say there's a progression, but the things that you do, any small thing that you do can be incredibly profound. So by now, contemplating these advantages and disadvantages, we might have gotten to know ourselves better a little bit, and we might have looked into corners of our life that we're not used to looking at, and even that quality of looking could be part of the practice too. In looking at the disadvantages of anger, we may have learned a little bit how to deal with it or distance from it, like rather than being completely in it every time. We might start to have the courage not to be so self-justifying, or justifying anger, heaping all the blame on one person and how convenient or good that can feel, you know, and how things that feel good in the moment may not actually be the best, like all this stuff can come out through through this practice and I just offer and invite you to uh, 
just look at your inner and outer world through this lens at some point if you if you're interested. So after that comes the invitation to practice loving kindness that maybe many of you have heard about from Buddhist teachers and recordings and books and stuff like that and the tradition in this you know group of school is you practice starting with yourself and that's how it's often presented that you start with yourself and how to love yourself um, because you're close to yourself we guess but also for many people that's kind of the hardest person to love or the hardest person to think deserves justice you know it's really easy to think that other people deserve justice and it can often be quite um, energizing to go to work to help you know a situation where someone else is being oppressed but when you're being oppressed yourself and you can also get very used to that and start to really leave yourself out of the picture and where do you start with finding out how to love yourself or is it always healthy you need to kind of keep this inquiry piece of your mind awake like are there some limits to what you might call loving of yourself and if you can't really love yourself how do you love the ability the inability to do it, you know, do you have an idea of what loving yourself should look like? I was looking at a cartoon on this, um, on a friend of mine's Facebook page, where there's this big chicken and a little chicken, and the little chicken says, you're just about to exceed the limits of my medication. (laughs) 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 So in all these ideas of kind of inclining our mind toward love and acceptance and stuff, we don't necessarily want to start to be untrue or to ourself or unrealistic or do spiritual bypassing which um, can become such a distorted way to live like you should be happy about this or you should let go or you should love this about yourself or that about yourself and you know it's a lot more subtle practice than that We have to be able to forgive ourselves sometimes before we can feel the love, you know. Um, We have to be able to be limited in that ability too, I think, before we can feel really free in these practices. So there's always the intention to move toward greater kindness and love and then the wisdom of actually staying with experience at the same time. I find that balance is a really interesting one to maintain in practice. But it's also quite a fruitful thing to do. I'll just give a tiny example. The other day I was um, on our, outside the kitchen, there's a place where these birds come to eat. We put food out for them, and I watch sometimes the birds get ready to fly. You know, and you sort of, at some point I started to realize that the bird is like a person. You know, a bird is not just an example of a bird or something pretty to look at or like a wild thing that makes me happy and stuff like that. Each bird has its own little, little, I mean, for the bird, it's its whole life. And when they get ready to fly, like sometimes they move their little feet, you know, like they're getting ready to jump, you know, they sort of like spread out their legs and get ready and then they throw themselves off the balcony. And I felt like there was some way that my that myself being a type of person or something like that and them being 
that in their life felt like the same thing. You know, that there's a tenderness there to to sense the connection of what it what wholeness might feel like or being able to feel myself and them in the same space. Really nice and so in that I could say that when you have a quality of love and respect for other people, it it kind of resonates back into yourself. And so the it's a reciprocal practice. The next person that Buddhaghosa talks about, you know, this loving of yourself as the main beginning of practice as you start to learn how to not have enemies or not be an enemy for yourself. Love your enemies, love the things in yourself that feel like enemies. But he said, um, it's really important to do it kind of to in order to take yourself as an example that you can then generalize from. So it's not all about me in that way. It's not all about being stuck in me. It's always relative to there being a lot more than just you around. And in taking yourself as an example, like say, if I imagine vulnerability in my own experience, what that feels like, and um, then I imagine that vulnerability in someone else's experience might feel similar. And then I feel a quality that, you know, um, is easy to connect through, I guess. You know, something like that. The next step and, you know, the following steps are to then think of someone, a men- like to move beyond this practice with yourself. And I'm not saying that this is the ideal order for each person either. But then to f- find someone who's helped you or someone you admire. Now, in the Tibetan Buddhist practice, this might come first, like you're the guru and stuff. Like feeling that there's a benefactor there. Or there's someone who has incredibly beautiful qualities that you admire and um, I've learned from the from the Tibetan and Vajrayana practices that sort of basking in this even sometimes a kind of invented person like imagining the Buddha or some enlightened being like looking at me with the eyes of love and just loving on me and everything that I can't love about myself well someone else might be able to like them stuff like that so that you spend some time feeling and understanding uh, what it's like to have someone else help you kind of thing. Someone else did help you. You might find someone in your life that you feel some of that relationship with, that you know they've actually given you something at some point. And from there, after spending some time with that, you start to wish that they would be happy, you know, and do the loving-kindness practice with them. And since you kind of know yourself now that you know, what it's like to be a human being a little bit more through this, or you've spent some time with it, then you might have some tenderness around the times when, you know, inevitably, like when I was doing this practice uh, over at a retreat, it's like I couldn't spend very long sending love to those people because I would always hit up against the thing I didn't like about them, like the ways that they just were not perfect, you know. And it took me a long time to see that that you know, sort of projection was in my mind, not coming from them exactly. <laughs> but I had a series of people, like a little slideshow, because I w- felt like it was really important to f- keep the feeling of well-wishing going, so I would switch the person, like I'd get to the point where I was really pissed off, 
And instead of dealing with being pissed off, I would just bring another person that I like, you know, for the minute I liked better. And I'd say, well, I really like wish you would be happy and stuff because I think you're so fabulous. <laughs> and then, then I'd have to sometimes bring back the other one a few minutes later, like, you're so fabulous, but actually, you know, yeah, oh, no, okay, you're like this. Sometimes when teachers will teach about loving kindness, they want you to stay with one person until you work through some of that stuff. But I just didn't have the capacity to do it, I guess. And um, it worked out to, to keep changing so that I could feel, you know, the actual possibility of wishing that someone else would be happy uh, for hours and hours and hours. So, you know, there's, uh, again, the handful of leaves ideas that you keep repeating this wish, like you keep bringing it back and you keep refreshing it, you keep making your attempts to sort of make a real offering of that to the, these people who, in at least in the meditation side, are all like the images in your head, like they're not necessarily the person out there, but you'll get into all the arguments that you have with them in real life, usually or even more, one conversations that you wouldn't be able to have. And then you move to someone that you don't care much about, and then you move to someone that you feel really challenged by. That's the sequence in the practice. So in the way that it's often presented. Um, and it doesn't have to just be on the cushion. You know, it can be in your life or people that you work with, stuff like that. So then what's interesting in this um, teaching, and I won't go through it as slowly as detailed as this. This is just the preliminary, but I feel like the preliminary is so deep. But it talks about um, how to get rid of resentment. Like when you get really blocked and you find yourself completely like, you know what that might feel like. You do not want to even wish them well. You, I've heard of numerous people having assassination fantasies recently. You know, and it gets intense, like you don't want to wish well for certain people and you wish that they should be stopped and you can think of ways that that would happen and stuff like that. And it's not a, it's not a pleasant conversation <laughs> to be in. What do you do about that? Um, I will say that at that point, rather than assassination, I would say that's what Audre Lorde said. This was in the globe today, if I cannot air this pain and alter it, I will surely die of it. So sometimes it might mean that there are conditions that need to be changed, that we should not just try to resolve it all by popping you know, thought bubbles on our cushion here, that we should get out and connect with other people and you know, protest. Was it one third of the population of Hong Kong is protesting now? Like, would it be 100 million pe uh, people if it were here? Of course, not every protest yields immediate action, but if we air our pain in public and solidarity, sometimes that makes a difference. But as Buddha Gosa says, like, if you have someone that starts to get really crystallized in your mind as an enemy because you feel them as harmful to you or you feel them as harmful to other people, to recognize what that crystallization can feel like inside yourself. like. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about that too. He says if you've been hurt or insulted or put down, and Common also, the rapper talks about that in his biography about somebody puts you down. It's a natural thing 
to feel enraged and to not like them and to think of them as a harmful person or a dangerous person that you shouldn't spend time with. And sometimes you really just owe it to yourself to do yourself the favor not to hang around them or not to try to change them, but just go to your own space. But what about that? And there's a series of really interesting instructions and techniques to work with it, including um, you know, finding some place of sense of being saturated in loving kindness and then just bringing the idea of that person um, quickly in, like quickly wishing that the best thing for that person might be to feel differently about life, that they could get some kind of education or something like that. It would actually help them. Sometimes it's to remember or study some teachings that might help you kind of dismantle that internal thing. There's a tremendous amount of uh, self-talk that Buddha Gosa recommends. Like he says, like, remember that if someone really didn't, uh, really despised you and didn't like you, um, they might wish that you were ugly and they might wish that you didn't have any friends and that's exactly what anger will do to you. So don't make a friend of anger because anger will, anger will rejoice as if they were your worst enemy. Um, so there's some rationalizations that you do. And then think about how good it would be to feel free from this affliction. And that's something that happened to me somewhat recently when I was thinking about how I've had this freaked out feeling about the way everything is now in the world and how dangerous it feels like this, these times are. How everything seems sort of fine, but it isn't fine, and how you know scary that feels. And I started to think, like, I don't know if I should be necessarily marinating in this. Like, is it really helping me to keep bringing up that set of sensations and perceptions? Like, it felt like... Um, by remaining freaked out, I was monitoring the situation in some way, you know, like I was staying in touch and not letting it slide out of my attention, but is it possible to have clarity about things that are the way that they are without necessarily adding that alarmed quality to it? I think it might be. I think it might be possible to have some of the clarity that is often associated with the way that anger functions to say, like, this is wrong and that's wrong, and then to... Um, let yourself find a creative response where you're a, bit, a little bit less disturbed internally by it because that will just kind of bring you down. And that's certainly what Dr. King would mention very often in his speeches that you know, letting yourself become a prisoner of hatred is not good. You try to sometimes think about there might be some good things about this other person whom you really despise. Did you know that Donald Trump gives away his whole salary? Sometimes to alcoholism things and stuff like that. Now, when I heard that, I didn't want to let it be true, and I had to look it up on Snopes.com, the the hoax website, and it actually is true that he donates his whole salary. Of course, he's making a lot of money in other ways, <laughs> which is impossible not to think, but I thought, well, it's really interesting to watch myself not want to stretch that way, to you know, to feel like I didn't want to, th- I didn't want to think that this person who's I consider my enemy, and I hope that this doesn't sound like me giving a political talk instead of a Buddhist talk, but the kind of requirement to to look at everything um, and balance it out. It doesn't overall balance this person into what I think is a compassionate being, but it does show that they have that capacity somewhere, sometime.
just in closing, I would say that, that then when we find ourselves in those crystallized places of feeling really quite stuck, that to be able to have a kind response to it, um, it's a very beautiful thing to be able to do to really get interested in looking at ourselves and not shying away from what's going on inside and outside. And to be able to really be open and bring a sincere and open-hearted look at it as a form of kindness. It's not always nice. It doesn't always feel good. But I think it's a disposition to take the appropriate action, like to be able to soften and, let's say, hold our reactivity in awareness. Thich Nhat Hanh says it's like holding your, your younger child or your younger brother or sister in your arms, that the part of you that is in this space or in this place that you might not find easy to be with, or the way that other people are being, or what's going on outside, or the torture of human beings in, in this country and other places, and the sense of, of all the stuff that our tender selves might feel afraid of, including you know someone in our family doing the same thing again at dinner when we don't want them to, or that kind of stuff, to have this very um, general intention to meet all of those experiences with kindness. I really think that that is where I'd like the talk to end. And it's not like you have to have a feeling of love like on Valentine's Day for that. And, and at the end of the longest meditation retreat I did on loving kindness, I really came to that. It's like the meaning of loving kindness is not necessarily gushy or squishy kind of love. It, it might feel that way sometimes, but it basically means that you don't want anyone to be hurt. Like you're absent of that. You're absent of that revenge or that ill will that would like to try to actually hurt someone. And if you have those feelings, you kind of have a disinclination to act on them. And I think that feels relieving. Like you don't have to really push yourself over the edge into saying like, this person is great or anything like that. You just have to say, I don't want them, I don't want the hurt to go on. I'm against that. It doesn't mean that you don't ever take a measure that might be unpleasant either. Like, I mean, I, re I respect Dr. King and Gandhi, but Nelson Mandela didn't feel that a completely nonviolent solution would work in South Africa. But it's with regret and as a last resort. I'm, I'm not sure that absolute nonviolence is my own value. I think we're free to think that way. Even in the Buddhist text, it says that someone who rules a country is, um, always has to use some kind of force, because that's just how it is. So you can be an enlightened ruler, but you might have to use force against or do stuff. We're kind of in a state of privilege if, if we haven't had to do that ever in our life, I think. So that's the, that's the basic practice, to think about doing it, doing what's accessible to you, looking at both sides, noticing the freedom and expansion and you know beauty of the state of loving kindness and the state of kind of not having enemies inside that you're kind of bound to. And 
just trying to do all this because it feels it feels like the right thing. I, I don't see any argument. I don't see a really good argument against this. But if one of you has that, I'd like to know. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.